Welcome back. Another Locked On Syracuse here on this Tuesday. Tim Leonard and Tyler Rocky here with you as we are every single weekday. Your only place to get daily Syracuse podcasts. Get caught up on all your Syracuse sports news throughout the weekdays. So, Ty, the big news that comes out yesterday, Jim Beheim has all of a sudden kind of reversed his stance. He's optimistic in Jesse Edwards making his way back to the United States. Obviously, Jesse, after wrapping up his freshman year, was in the Netherlands. He's been working out at home. We were kind of talking about last time we discussed him that it was looking like he might not make it back and maybe that would lead to a potential red shirt. Now it looks like, according to Bayheim and what he told Mike Waters at Syracuse.com, that he is going to get this waiver, come back, take a test, and then wait two days for the results in quarantine, and if he passes, he's all good to go, which is good news for Syracuse. Yeah, I was a little surprised when I saw this because now Jim Beheim's probably a lot closer to the situation because it's an issue that really concerns him and one of his players, but when he, he was speaking so matter-of-factly in the way that Jesse is going to get the waiver, they're letting people come back in from the Netherlands, and that he's just going to be pretty much ready to go in about a week, week and a half, which to me, I was kind of like, okay, I haven't really seen anything like this in the news or anything like that, because this is different than what we've seen a lot of in the news lately, where they talk about, oh, are these international students going to be able to be in the United States? No, that's a little bit different. That is international students that were already in the United States during the pandemic and it's kind of like they're kicking them out of the country. But this is a different situation. So I was a little surprised when I saw that Beheim's pretty optimistic about this. Yeah, I think I kind of got to a point on this topic where I felt like he maybe was not going to make it for the start of the season. And at the very least, his timetable, workouts, sort of training with the team, practicing with the team was going to be hampered. Now we're hearing a week or two, obviously the season itself is kind of up in the air and whether it starts in the fall is up in the air, but I think this is great news. It is kind of surprising news, and I don't know if it changes a ton in terms of, I think there's still a chance that they sit down and say, Jesse, I think we should redshirt you. Now, I'm with you. Yeah, some I people... I. Some people are going to be listening to that and think, why would they redshirt him? But I've always been of this camp that if if you're going to redshirt Jesse Edwards, this is the year to do it. And if you have a project-type center like Jesse Edwards, who does have a high ceiling in terms of talent, and we like a lot of his physical tools and what he brought in spurts last year, he looked really good, just has to get more comfortable playing basketball because he's only been playing for so long. Well, I think it's kind of a waste to not spend one year redshirting him when you know he's a four-year guy and really he's a long-term project in the end. And Goody even came on and told us as much, too, that even if he is in the United States, he's still the number one redshirt candidate on the team, at least from a center perspective. So when I hear that, I still think it's a there's a very strong possibility, and we'll talk more about centers in a little bit, but... I I still think that it's a very strong possibility you do see him sit out for the season. And I think that's the right call because I think that with Frank Anselm, this is a guy who at least he's been training with the team and stuff like that because even though Jesse is is 
going to hopefully be in the United States, he still has had that little bit of a gap of these voluntary workouts. And Tim, I mean, we say the word voluntary very tongue in cheek because there's nothing voluntary (laughs) about voluntary workouts, not just in college athletics. There's nothing voluntary about voluntary workouts in high school athletics, maybe middle school. I don't know, but it's a very loosely used term. Yeah, for sure. What I do is voluntary workouts where I don't work out enough and tell myself I'm going to work out. But (laughs) for them, it's it's, uh, actually just a mandatory workout is what it's going to end up being, especially when you're a program, the caliber of Syracuse basketball, of course. But yeah, I mean, the red shirt thing, you look at what the center roster is, and we can get into kind of maybe how the minutes are going to be laid out or kind of project what we could see, which is obviously up in there because... So much depends on how these guys perform and how much strides they make. And there's a lot of unknown, again, around the center position and the guys that could be filling out the anchor spot of the 2-3 zone. But I think he's really the only guy that has a chance from the center position of redshirting. I would have thought Frank Anselm, but Goody told us that someone close to the team has told him that Anselm doesn't really have any chance of redshirting. And they were never pitching him as a redshirt candidate. So knowing that, you probably should redshirt one of them. You can't redshirt John Bull unless it's for a medical reason because he already redshirted last year. So we know he won't, and obviously Sidibe won't because he's a senior. Yeah, that would be so, just be a waste, yeah. Right. So it kind of by process of elimination, knowing what we know, now Bayham is – Right. It wasn't maybe Beheim that told Goody, but the team has maybe said stuff in the past, and then two months later, three months later, it's been the opposite. So it wouldn't shock me if Frank Anselm came, wasn't ready, and depending on how weird this season is, maybe they just say, let's redshirt him. But if we're assuming that Anselm's not redshirting, by process of elimination, I think you should redshirt one, and that kind of leaves Jesse Edwards, who it's weird because he played his freshman year. You don't normally redshirt after you play a year, but... There's nothing wrong with doing it. He's the odd man out on the island because he's the really the only one that fits the mold. And I think you and I both agreed that it probably once upon a time we felt like it was going to be Anselm just because he's the youngest guy of the crop. He did commit a little bit late in the process and all of that stuff. And, and the fact that he just, he, I mean, he reclassified too. So he moved up a year. So it kind of would be natural for him. But I think... That was the whole thing, is if he was reclassifying a year, he probably wouldn't want to redshirt then, because why would he bother reclassifying? And I don't know. It's a a weird process, but maybe he just wanted to get the college experience, even if it meant redshirting a year. So who knows? Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch. And, you know, I've seen some videos leak out on Instagram and Twitter and stuff about Jesse Edwards working out. He is, it seems like he's working out with the Netherlands national team. And there are a lot of guys that were in the exact same boat as him. And maybe they're going to get some waivers too. And they're big college prospects. Yeah. I think there's a guy from Kansas. There's, there's, it's a lot of power. Notre Dame, I think. Yeah. So, and he maybe looks a little bit bigger if you're looking at it optimistically. Nothing drastic, but if you really put a fine tooth comb to it, I think I see a little bit more strength, which is obviously going to be a big thing for him. So, Let's break down more of the minutes, maybe, and get into really how the center position will play out in our eyes as we enter this upcoming season. And then after we do that, we will talk some football. We got to finish our discussion from yesterday on kind of rebuilding the football program. But first, let's talk about the center some more. 
All right, so I kind of listed off the potential centers. I guess I didn't mention Dolzhai, who obviously, ideally, I think you would want him to be the forward, but we have seen him play some of the anchor spot. He has experience there. Maybe this year it's a foul trouble type of situation that calls for him to be there, but worth mentioning that he can play that position too. And then obviously Quincy is kind of a bigger forward that's a good rebounder, but I don't think we'll see him at the anchor spot given how many guys they have. So, you know, when you look at what you have here, you have the X factor of the entire season, which is Barama Sidibe. And as we've talked about how he plays, whether it's end of the year Barama from last year or beginning of the year Barama from last year, literally alters, I think, Syracuse's entire ceiling. He's going to be the presumptuous starter going into the season just based on seniority. And then how would you rank... After that, the next three guys, meaning Frank, John Bowl, and Jesse. I'm probably going, I mean, just the way that the coaching staff has at least handled the summer. I mean, this isn't the personal way I would do it. I would personally go Jesse, then probably Frank Anselm and John Bowl. I mean, John Bowl and Frank Anselm, we really don't know anything about. Yeah, but exactly. Jesse, we've seen. There is, there's some sort of known there, but the way that the coaching staff has been handling things, and let's say Jesse does get in and he's ready to go in a week and a half, that's the way I would do it. But the way that the coaching staff, based on the way that I'm kind of seeing how they see it, it looks like it's Barama, then it goes Frank, and then Jesse, and then John Bull. It feels like John Bull's kind of the odd man out. But if Jesse is a redshirt candidate, which it seems like is very possible, then that slides John Bull up a spot too. So yeah. I don't know. I think there's so many real interesting X factors with all of this because we don't know what John Bull is. We don't know what Frank Anselm is. And I guess they're kind of going to be battling it out for that backup center position in, in summer camp. Yeah, we kind of know nothing about John Bull. Like, his first game and his first action, whether it's an exhibition or what, I guess we have seen him in some exhibitions from last year. But his first real action is going to be kind of must-see TV when he gets on the court. Like, I'm going to be glued to him just to check him out because obviously we've seen the highlight tapes and stuff. But outside of that, all we really know about Bull is that He's kind of the class clown of the team and seems like a really good kid off the court. But you didn't hear a ton in terms of progress he made last year. I guess you did. And if you did hear it, it was positive, of course. But it was not like that time when Elijah Hughes was redshirting. And obviously, it's an unfair comparison for John Bull. But when Elijah Hughes was redshirting, that was the talk of the town was this guy's the best guy in practice and get ready for him and everything. I maybe would have liked to hear a little bit more about that on the John Bull side. I, I think I would put him fourth, but would it shock me if he just becomes the backup center? Not really, because Anselm is also a huge unknown. Right. It's 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 so hard to project this right now. I, I would guess, I mean, I think in terms of pure skill and upside, I, w- I think Anselm, I mean, of all four guys, is is the yeah. biggest, has the highest upside of all these guys. But at the same time, upside only matters when you reach your peak, really. So you have to get to that part. A lot of these guys are very raw. And, I mean, in the case of Jesse Edwards and Frank Anselm, they haven't really played basketball until these last five, six years. So it's battling with all of that. And, again, I think 
you, you kind of hit it off the top, but I think Marek Dolajai really needs to be factored into this conversation because I think we may see this team go small at times, and Marek, just the, in terms of the experience that he has with the, the zone defensively and the fact that he can bring you versatility, and who knows, maybe that jumper has really improved this offseason and he can bring you an added dimension of stepping back a little bit and taking some 18-footers, maybe some threes mixed in there as well that would completely turn this thing upside down because then you're looking at multiple guys who probably aren't going to see much time on the floor because it's cool to to look at this roster in, in what are we, in July right now or in August, and then once we creep closer and closer to the season into October, November, and seeing, wow, there's, there's 11, 12 guys that can maybe play, and then it shrinks it's down to happen. six or seven when it's all said and done. So it really may not matter at the end of things because we may see a lot more Marek at that five spot. Yeah. I would put Anselm as the favorite to be the backup center. If we were doing Vegas odds, I think he'd be a slight favorite, but I would not put John Bull or Jesse Edwards that far behind. And no, yeah, I think they're all pretty similar. And I think the other thing too, that you may, you may think with this upcoming season is Jim Beheim with all the unknowns, he might just go with what's comfortable, what's familiar for him. And yeah. for that, that's going to be, Really, it's going to be Marek probably getting the bulk of the minutes out there at, at that backup, assuming he can stay out of foul trouble. Because as much as we like to poke fun at Sidibe for getting oh, yeah. in all sorts of foul trouble, the same can be said for Marek Dolajai. There were a lot of times where we saw him get three, four quick ones, and then Jim Beheim scrapping around. And who knows, maybe they have to go small and use more lineups with Quincy as a big guy. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, Beheim's tendency is always to lean on what he's comfortable with and the guys that he's seen play already, as we know. I think a dream scenario, like if I was to map out the best way for Syracuse to overachieve next season, be a force in the ACC, like a top five seed, in terms of the centers, I would say Sidibe takes a big leap, plays consistently night in and night out like an ACC starting center basically what we saw at the end of the season and is consistently not much of a worry in the foul trouble department with the exception of a couple games because that is natural and I know that happens in college basketball with just five fouls I would say obviously Sidibe is the guy that you really really want to see the rewards from because he's a senior and if you don't get it this year then it was kind of a failed experiment honestly and then after that to me, Frank Anselm playing 15 solid minutes as the backup, shining, getting in there as a potential scorer, a rim runner, someone that can block shots, gets comfortable with the zone, maybe is ahead of schedule a little bit and what we're seeing for him establishes himself right away. I don't think it's the end of the world if Frank Anselm does not play this year because of what he said in some Nor quotes when he... No. Committed. I mean, he seems to have the right attitude about going into a competitive situation, knows it's going to take some time maybe for him to get those full minutes. But at the same time, we've seen a lot of guys transfer recently, and I do not want someone like him to kind of fall victim to the doghouse, for lack of a better term. And that's an overused way of describing it, maybe a harsh way of saying it, but I'd like to see him get no, double-digit minutes at times. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, well, here's my thing too, is 
the big reason, remember, that he axed Kentucky off the list, even though I didn't necessarily agree with the logic of things, but it was because Olivier Saar was transferring into Kentucky. So when I, when I heard that, I, I didn't feel like minutes right away was necessarily the, the big factor. Because when you looked at it, A, there's no guarantee Olivier Sarr is playing this year. So you could have walked in and been the only center on Kentucky. Then on top of that, I also looked at it from the perspective of if even if Olivier Sarr is the starting center, you're going to be able to, to spend a year developing behind him for a little bit. And again, you're supposed to be a 2021 guy anyway. So... I yeah. just found that all intriguing. So I don't think there there's this necessary necessarily some push to get him out there to be the backup center right away because I think they the staff does realize that he is a guy that they're going to have to develop and, and put through this big man program that really largely these last couple of years has not been super successful, but maybe a guy like Anselm can can change that around or I don't know. No doubt. There's a lot of questions to be answered, and I can't wait for when Anselm does redshirt because, of course, that's going to happen since, you know, like we'll look back on this conversation and think, yeah, it was just the opposite because that's Syracuse and that's how things have been going. But I do hope that Anselm plays a decent amount because I think he's the guy that I'm most excited about. And I think Jesse Edwards is right below him. I'm still excited about Jesse Edwards, and he made some strides, but I'd like to see Anselm play more than Edwards did in his freshman season, ideally. So anyway, that's the center discussion. We will be talking a lot more about the center position, I'm sure, in plenty of weeks to come on this podcast, because it seems like that's always a topic, Syracuse basketball-related. On the Syracuse football side of things, we started talking about how to rebuild the program yesterday. If you missed that podcast, go back and check it out. We were going off of an article on The Athletic from our friend Matthew Gutierrez. He laid out three steps with the help of some former Syracuse football players and kind of the way to retool it. we got to get to the third step now, which is sort of alumni relations and making sure that the alumni are welcomed back to games. There was kind of some concerning stuff in Goody's article as it pertains to that. So we'll dive into that next. Okay, so back to the million-dollar question of trying to solve the Syracuse football problem and get them back to winning. We were channeling our athletic director brain yesterday and trying to go through, and we went through the first two steps in that article for Matthew Gutierrez. The final step he said is a little bit more communication and a little bit more willingness to invite the alumni and basically alumni relations. And I guess I should narrow it down more to former football players kind of channeling that you have some really good former football players, some guys with NFL success, a tradition there. And you had those glory days. Why not bring them back to games more? Something I guess when Goody brought it up and you really think about it, haven't seen a ton of. I mean, we haven't seen Donovan McNabb at a game, Dwight Freeney, Marvin Harrison. There's a lot of these guys that there's not a ton of reason for a casual fan or a casual football fan to know that they went to Syracuse unless you remember it from kind of the late 90s for those guys in particular. Whereas some other schools like Miami or, you know, you go on and down the list, there's a lot of schools now are kind of 
leaning into this a little bit more, sort of how we talked about the facilities yesterday, and a little bit of some concerning stuff and some comments and alumni saying they didn't really feel wanted and weren't invited as much as they would have hoped, which you never like to see. Yeah, that was the worst part of this entire article. Now, when you list off some of those names, I get why you may not want to have the strongest of ties to Donovan McNabb because of some of the things that have happened off the field with him since he's left. Because I remember what? There was once upon a time a conversation of maybe they bring him into the broadcast booth too and be, yeah, a radio commentator for Syracuse. But I don't think they wanted to take on that sort of PR which I totally understand. I totally get that. But guys like Dwight Freeney, Marvin Harrison, I mean, they're, if you ask a, a number of students that are on campus now, if Marvin Harris, what school Marvin Harrison went to, I bet a number of them would not know Marvin Harrison even went yeah, to Yeah, he especially I mean, slips through the cracks. For he me. flies so under the radar. I mean, I'm trying to think, too, of even the, the highlight videos that I see played during games. How often do you see Marvin Harrison? right and he's such an elite wide receiver like honestly i know he's a he's an nfl hall of famer he's up for the college football hall of fame this year i believe so yeah i don't know why i don't get that one right freeney to me feels like he gets more connection to syracuse than harrison which maybe other people feel differently but Harrison is, I bet if I asked just some of my friends that are not Syracuse related, they would not know Marvin Harrison played for Syracuse. And that's a problem because that's such an asset that Dino could be using that the school could be using. Yeah, so Phil Nash, he's actually quoted in this article, and he comes out and says, fewer players are allowed on the field than in years past. In recent years, that number has been reduced. Could make a huge difference. On our teams, we had that connection with alums. Big-time programs now, that's what you see. When you look at Ohio State, Michigan, the sidelines are loaded with former players who are coming back for games. We don't do that nearly as much. That's such a simple thing to do. And just to have the alums, I mean, they're not bothering anyone. If anything, they're, they're hyping guys up. They're they're making guys want to go make a play to go see see the have the alums see them make a difference in the game. And right. I just don't understand the fact that these guys don't feel welcome. These guys should have a, a ticket to every game if they want one. That should yeah. be an email that goes out at the beginning of every season to every Syracuse football alum. That says, if you ever want to come, and maybe it does, I don't know. But the way that Phil Nash is putting it off, it does Doesn't not look sound that way. like it. No. Yeah. If, and if you basketball. want a ticket to every game, we'll get you a field pass, your family, field pass. You can be on the field before the game and then a ticket during the game. And I mean, there's so many boosters, there's so many boxes. You can go sit up in a box, we'll get you a seat, whatever you want. I mean, it's not like you sell the place out every single game either. You should be no. rolling the red carpet out for the guys especially the guys who made this program what it is. So I don't know. Maybe they do that with Dwight Freeney and, and Marvin Harrison, and they just choose not to come back, and they don't do it with a guy like Phil Nash. So I don't know. I This is very frustrating because you see the men's basketball program, and those guys are treated like royalty. Royalty. I mean, anytime yeah. Carmelo's coming back, everyone knows Carmelo's coming back, right? And we just don't see that same thing in the football program. Yeah, and I think winning has something to do with that, for sure. You know, the Clemson game, we did see a huge turnout. That was also the Tim Green retirement. They honored the national championship team. They really just blew that one out of the park, and it was great from 
an all-day perspective and a fan experience and just hyping up the football program as a whole, there's no reason why when they play NC State in that ranked game, they shouldn't have had a couple guys on the sideline. Now, potentially they did, but it wasn't advertised. It wasn't discussed. It wasn't on Twitter of a guy doing a speech like Stephen A. Smith did. And we saw that. I mean, you're bringing Stephen A. Smith back. You you got to, I right. mean, it's never a good thing if you don't treat, like Dino Babers is preaching family, Ohana. Well, really put your money where your mouth is and showcase that. I want to see some of these it guys It seems come like back. a strange family at this yeah. point. I mean, you look at Super Booster, Adam Weitzman. Who's he bringing to games? He's bringing Odell Beckham Jr. He's bringing Gronk. Gronk that's yeah. Arizona, and that's LSU. And listen, I'm not saying Adam Weitzman shouldn't bring those guys to games. He should. They're big-name guys. But he's bringing them to basketball games. Why isn't why aren't why isn't the university reaching out to some of these guys to have them bring in these big time players from football teams of the past and get them to these basketball games, get them to these football games? Because it's really frustrating when I read in this article that the subject of a group text is the fact that there's a lack of program outreach to the alums. I mean, the players have hardly been – this is a, a direct quote from Goody and, and along with a quote. The players have hardly been back to SU to cheer on their former team. When was the last time we were invited to a game, the player recalled, asking the group. When was the last time we've been up for a game? Period. And yeah. when I hear that, I mean, the fact that there's no outreach is just I, – I don't understand that in the slightest. It reminds me of, of like with the Cubs and – how they have pretty much disassociated themselves from Sammy Sosa. And I get that Sammy is, is caught up in this steroids controversy, but who cares? So many people did it, and it just looks childish on the Cubs' part that they want to take away from a guy who made them millions upon millions of dollars. I mean, some of these football players made them millions of dollars. Think about back to the time when you were there, Tim. Aside from maybe when they honored a team or something like that, who is the only Syracuse football player that you see honored on a – or really that you have, you have seen year after year after year at a game? There's only uh, one that comes to mind for me. I can't even think of one. I mean, I was going to say Tim Floyd Green Little is, the one is that, mine. Who? Oh, Floyd Little. Floyd yeah, Little that's a good, is the one good that example, I see. Yeah. And, and, but he works for the team, so that's – or not for the team. He works in the athletic department, so that's easy. I mean, he lives in the area, so he's just going to come up and he's going to go to a game. So yeah. that's the easy one, and I, I just don't get why there, there isn't this outreach for, for all the other guys. R remember some of the little guys, too, because right. the fact that they don't feel like they're a part of the family, even though they still try to support you, despite the fact that you have not been good the past two decades – and they still try to support you is is really, really frustrating. But that's what separates Syracuse from the other teams that are kind of in mediocrity and struggling to get to bowl games right now and having a downward spiral. These teams like a Boston College or, I don't know, I, I don't want to say UConn because that's too hurtful to Syracuse, but even like a Pittsburgh, I think I mentioned this yesterday, but they don't have the tradition that Syracuse has football-wise. They haven't won a national championship. I guess Pittsburgh has, but they don't have all these Heisman Trophy winners and the legacy of 44 and 
all these NFL guys that they could boast. So I'm totally with you. I think the way that when it's March Madness and Syracuse is on a run, you just know you're going to see a text from a guy like Derek Coleman. I'd like to see more of that from a Chandler Jones. And maybe he has, That's I think that's an example of a guy who has done a little bit of that. But you can go on and on down the list. I'd like to see more of that from some of those big-name Syracuse guys. So one of the more surprising things from that article. But that's going to do it for today's show on this Tuesday. We'll be back as we are every single weekday. Tomorrow's show on the Wednesday edition of Locked on Syracuse. Going to dive more into recruiting. Syracuse missed out on an offensive line target. Lyndon Cooper committed to NC State. That came out yesterday. We'll talk about that and where offensive line is heading now for the future. Some guys that they could pick up at that position, which is so critical now that they have their QB in the 2021 cycle. And also probably touch on some basketball recruiting because the Orange did offer a top 50 guy in the 2022 cycle, which is that cycle we're really excited about. So that's going to do it for today. Thanks for listening. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. And for Tyler, I'm Tim. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.